the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hello, and welcome to a very different edition of the Cover 3 podcast. It's different because, as you can tell by the sound of my voice or by my beautiful face, if you're watching us live on YouTube, I am not your host, Chip Patterson. I am Tom Fernelli. He is Danny Cannell, and together uh, we staged a mostly bloodless coup to take over the show. Uh, Danny and I have long shared the same vision for what we think the Cover 3 podcast should be, and we felt like it was time for Bud and Chip to get in line, and when they resisted, well, we did what we had to do. Uh, No, seriously, we are expecting Bud to join the show in a little bit, but Chip will not be with us today. He's taking some time off following Fiorentina's 3-2 loss to lowly Salernitana on Sunday morning. We have no idea when he'll be back, but people grieve in their own ways, and we want to respect his privacy at this time. So, If you want to respect Chip's privacy or send him your condolences about Fiorentina's blown chance to move into the Europa League spots, subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast on all the normal podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. And if you like this video, if you haven't already, that would be a big help because seriously, doing that is the best way to spread the word about the show on social media platforms if you're somebody who doesn't actually like interacting with other human beings. If you are somebody who interacts with human beings the old-fashioned way and you know somebody who likes college football as much as you do you could tell them about us that way too but uh today's show it's gonna be a little bit you know we're gonna talk about some of the stuff that happened over the weekend we had some big spring games wrapping up you know big quarterback battles without any decisions made but mostly we're gonna be focusing on the nfl draft which is this week today we're focusing on the offensive side of the ball but before we get to any of that danny how was your weekend it was fantastic. You know what my favorite thing to do is on Sunday? It's to, go tra- it's to go check out CBSSports.com spring game recaps. <laughs> and now I'm finding out that what I do is whether, like, if you wrote it, I hear it in your voice. Like, I hear you in my head. So, like, and it's very witty. Like, you always are. You got away with words. I can hear your timing and everything. When Chip does them, I hear his. When Barrett does them, I hear his. It's awesome. So I love it. That was that was the highlight of my weekend for sure, was seeing some of your comments in there and hearing your voice deliver them in my head. I had to, like, because we still rotate during the offseason, the, the CBSSports.com college football team kind of rotates weekends. And this was my weekend. And I was like, oh, God, you know, I, I should I make the schedule. So I should have done a better job of giving myself a Saturday to Sunday that weren't so spring game heavy. So I, I show up in our Slack room on Saturday morning and it's like, all right, Tom, we need you to do the spring game, you know, reactions and recaps for all this stuff. And I'm like, great, really looking forward to it. So <laughs> I write, this is like 2000 words on all these different games. I turned it into our editor, Ben Kirchville, and he sends me a direct message a few minutes later as he's reading it. And he just says, it's like, this isn't a complaint because it's very good, but I can just really tell how little you care about any of these spring games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, 
but I mean, that's kind of like, like spring games are great for the fan base. Like, you know, when it's the off season and there's just that long slog between the season ending and the season beginning, spring games are awesome because they, they're just kind of a reminder that, Hey, the seasons are changing the season. The new season will be here before you know it. It's your chance to get to see new players. If you've had coaching changes, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's a great way like for, you know, to, to get the fan base excited about the upcoming season, but really the games themselves don't, mean a whole lot because most of them now aren't even scrimmages anymore like at least they used to be scrimmages whether it was like first team versus second team or whatever but now it's offense versus defense with really strange scoring rules that nobody understands so like for me when i'm watching them it's i I go in we know like for a lot of the big ones like you know notre dame usc obviously was a big deal because caleb williams lincoln riley but for lsu old miss penn state and all those kind of schools that had quarterback battles it's like all right i want to get a chance to see some of these guys throwing footballs whether it's against you know live defenses or number one defenses and all that kind of stuff so it's just a glimpse at it but you know what that, games, yeah you know what screen spring games are great for getting right in the middle of a my crowd is bigger than yours yes like just fight that's going on out there so i couldn't help myself because you know, I work with Dusty Dvorak, yes. Oklahoma Sooner, and like I know how his feelings are. We talked about this, and then he went at it with Colin Coward, who's USC's number one super fan. And so I couldn't resist, and so I'm kind of watching this all play out. And you know, Dusty's actually calling the game for the Sooner Network, and he's posting pictures. And then I'm like, all right, now do USC. And then I get Matt Leinert coming at me like, hey, worry about your own squad. And I get all these USC fans all up in arms, and they're all like, well, there's nothing to do in Norman anyway. There's nothing to do out there. Like, look, it's gorgeous here in L.A. You could be at the beach. You could be at a Kings game. You could be all these different places. And then guess where America's number one or USC's number one super fan is watching the game from? His couch. Colin Cowherd was watching from his couch. So he didn't even go to the game to support his own school. So there goes that theory. It's not like he was at the beach or he was running around the great weather. He was sitting at home, but that's what I got caught up into. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, and I don't know if this is going to derail where you want to take the show. No, I am captain slow down the hype on most players that I haven't seen play in a game yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Five stars, freshmen have, you know, just christened superstars and they're going to be the next big thing. It took me a while to get on the Bryce Young and Bud was telling me, hey, he's the best quarterback we've seen. He's going to be awesome. I was like, "Eh, let me see it play out. And it did. Quinn Ewers, I know it wasn't much, but you can see the arm talent that Mm -hmm. has, you know, people drooling and why Ohio State backed up the truck and then Texas backed up a bigger truck to get him to come home. That ball comes off his hand about as smooth and effortlessly as anybody I've seen. And the throw that he made, while it's it's just one throw, it's the throw that guys are making at their combine workouts, their pro days, like that little half rollout, throw it. They're doing it against air and shorts and a t-shirt. There was a defense out there, and I know he wasn't getting hit, but and then I thought also, I just think I think Texas, um, is going to be a lot better this year, just a matter of how much. Like five and seven, clearly it better get better. And I'm not predicting they're going to beat Bama in week two, but I think they're going to be a heck of a lot better at the quarterback position. And by the way, Hudson Card played pretty well yeah. too. So like they've got some things going on at Texas that I think the Longhorn fans are going to be excited about. But Quinn Ewers to me, and I know there's no starter named, man, he's got, he's got something. He's got something brewing. 
Yeah, there's there's juice to that. Like you said, the the one throw, the 72 yard touchdown, I think to Isaiah Nair, he kind of rolled out and did that whole hop off the back foot while throwing kind of thing that you see everybody doing. And it was a rope up the yeah. seam. It was a perfect throw. And it's like, okay, I get it. But like you said, it's also, it's going to be take to game situations. It's like, all right, he's making those throws. We're going to have to see how he is on the intermediate throws because that's where a lot of these guys, I think, really struggle. You see a lot of quarterbacks now who can make the deep ball, who throw really pretty deep balls, but it's the underneath stuff and the checkdowns and the progressions, which is where you really separate the really good ones from the guys with plenty of talent. But that was my biggest takeaway from the Texas spring game is like, all right, I think they're probably going to score plenty of points this year. I, I do have some concerns about that defense based on what we saw in the spring game. So I think we're going to see a lot of shootouts with the Longhorns. So at the very least, even if they're not like really good, their games should be fun. Uh, going back to other quarterback battles though around, did you see any of the LSU spring game? I did not catch that one yet. That's on a list. I got a list of a couple that I wanted to check out. I saw USC. I saw Texas. I saw Oklahoma. A little bit Ole Miss. Like I was just kind of splattering of them. I haven't checked out LSU's out. I will say, like, the there's nothing to take away from the quarterback battle, but if you want to just read between some lines and just maybe make some stuff up, Jaden Daniels did take the first snaps at mm. quarterback amongst everybody. But I don't think he was the best quarterback that they had. Like, I felt like, and it's, some of it is understandable, seeing as how it's he's barely been with the team. He hasn't spent a lot of time practicing with them. But I felt like one of the problems with him at Arizona State was always that the first read, the first read wasn't there. He was taking off. And I thought he was doing a lot of that with LSU like there's he was using his legs and I think of their guys he's probably the most mobile but honestly from what I've saw and from what I've heard from LSU people who are you know cover the team I think Garrett Nussmeyer is like a legitimate like threat to win this job mm. so that's and he was the guy that stayed you know maybe mm -hmm. he had maybe I mean he's got to have more familiarity familiarity with the personnel the teammates I mean that leadership stuff matters I think it'd be curious though because I wonder if they're going to want to use Jaden Daniels' legs. And that's another thing that's really hard to decipher in all these because sometimes you see quarterbacks running around and you're like, oh, that would have been a sack. And other times mm -hmm. you're like, oh, that would have been a 30-yard run, but they blow him dead. It's just like you can't ever get a really good beat on what they're doing. I did see some people hitting up the chat and said, what's the actual team benefit for a spring game? I think there is value in it. Like there's a lot. Like there's still – there's a crowd there. Some guys clam up during a crowd. The contact, now this is kind of changing too, but most of the time they do a lot of team drills where it is tackled to the ground except for the quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, I remember there was an era where the quarterbacks were live. It was like I, Mark Rick was my quarterback coach and coordinator. And I, as soon as I got to Florida State campus, they were really – short on depth at the quarterback position. So I pretty much had a green jersey from the like true freshman stepped on campus and he would watch me do drills and he'd be like, you got to get rid of that ball. You're going to get killed. And the only way you really learn that is to actually get killed. He had this. And so all my whole freshman year, I was in a green jersey. I never got touched. Now in a game, I got hit a little bit, but he was my sophomore year. He was giddy because he's like, he would taunt me. He's like, you know, <laughs> like, you know you're going to get hit this spring. And I'm like, yeah, what's your point? He wanted to see like how I would respond to that. And I got lit up because that was against, you know, Derek Brooks and all these dudes that were just, you know, NFL type talent. And he also knew it was going to be the best defense I would face all year. So for a lot of these th teams, like it's the first time seeing guys on a stage where there's more people 
and the live contact for most of the team is all right how's the receiver going to respond when he's going over the middle and you know guys look great against air and against drills where you're not bringing them to the ground so i think there is some value but it's not like i'm with you i don't think there's as much value as there used to be when they're everyone was live they kept score you know interceptions meant you were going to lose possession of the ball not hey let's redo the play and yeah it was interception but we're going to get you right back in there it was definitely closer to a spring, you know, a real game atmosphere. Now it's just not. Yeah, it's my my other final biggest takeaway before we move on will be Penn State fans that are hoping for Drew Alar to take over for Sean Clifford might want to pump the brakes a little bit. Was not a very good spring game for him, and obviously spring games don't mean a whole much. But over the summer, over the fall, as he becomes more acclimated to the offense, maybe things improve. But I think Sean Clifford is going to be your starter in day one. And as James Franklin has kind of hinted to in press conferences when you've been reading between the lines all spring and all offseason, I think Christian Valu, which I believe it's it might be Valu, but I think it's Valu, I think he is probably more likely to be the number two at this point than Alar. So I don't know how Penn State fans are going to feel about that, but I just think that's what, based on what I've seen how it's going to go. Um, all right, so spring games are done. Oklahoma had a huge crowd. Everything was electric, blah, blah, blah. But there's something else that happens after spring games, and it kind of coincides with the deadline. Guys, you finish spring practice. Most of them will be finished by May 1st. You kind of have a better idea of where you are in the depth chart. And the deadline to transfer, if you want to be eligible for next season, is May 1st. So we're likely going to see a lot of players entering the transfer portal here in the next week. And Dennis Dodd wrote about it in a story on cbssports.com. If you would like to read it pretty much coaches are thrilled <laughs> because they understand that on May 1st, they're probably not going to lose any more players and they can finally breathe for a few months as far as the portal is concerned before having to deal with it again next season. But it's going to be really interesting this year because like the quarterback battles that we talked about with the spring games, we're probably going to see a pretty decent number of quarterbacks hitting the portal. I think for the most part, we're going to see depth guys, guys maybe can't crack the rotation at bigger schools who might be you know, looking to move down to somewhere they have a better chance to play. But I think if there are any big names, and we did see a couple guys at Arizona State this weekend enter the portal uh, who were pretty big names for them. But I'm just wondering to see which kind of quarterbacks we're going to get. Because going back to Texas, like, Hudson Card played really well in the spring game. I don't. I, I think Quinn Ewers is still going to end up being the starter there, but I don't think Hudson Card's out of the running. Will he decide to stick around and push for the job? You go to LSU where there are four guys in the battle. Like I, I feel like at least one of them is going to be hitting the portal this week. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, I think it's interesting because uh, our twenty four seven site has the transfer portal, you know, updated today. And there's while there's not a big name quarterback in there, actually Carlos Del Rio Wilson is in there, four star. Uh, there's already you know seven players, or excuse me, today there's six players. That was from the other day, was uh, you know six players on a daily basis. And there's four stars in there. I mean, four stars are quality players. You can find really good talent in there of guys that aren't happy because the way spring unfolded and they don't like the where they are on the depth chart. And I think this is interesting because if you catch like. Having talked to a couple coaches this spring, you hear their mindset is changing as well. So they're doing this balancing act of trying to make sure they've got spots in their roster because they know, like, hey, if this player decides we're going to go after him, we're going to try to get him. So it's just one more aspect of the roster management piece. But, of course, it will be about the quarterbacks. And you're right. They have to announce here within a week. And I, there's going to be some big names mm -hmm. that end up losing a job, going in there. 
But I also wonder, like, at what point we're going to see, like, the guys that have already transferred once that can't do it again for free. Do they still enter and just say, I'm going to redshirt this year? Like, let's just say Hudson – or let's say Quinn Ewers looked awful. Mm -hmm. He really – he's kind of stuck at Texas, at least for the – like, you'd think he'd want to wait his chance. Now he didn't. He played good. But, like, does that give Sark more leeway to say – to really pump up Hudson Card? to make him feel like he might be the leader in the clubhouse for the starter role to make sure that he's there. And I'm just giving Texas as one example, but there's examples all over the place. Yeah, um, like if you look uh, at yeah, Ole Miss, like yeah, Jackson didn't play, great. didn't play great, but right. He, he, Which he, kind he, of like, he doesn't, he already used his transfer. So mm-hmm. he's kind of, you would think he would just stay there. I don't think players would jump that quick anyway, but it's just all this kind of new, you know, era that we're in where it's just roster management and this you know what's the good thing about this one at least there's a date yeah some of these you just don't know at least there's a deadline that they have to be in by i do think we're probably going to see something in the future where there are going to be periods of being able to transfer and being able to not you know like it's all right you're going to be able to move free of charge or whatever you want to do it you know go somewhere not sit out of your but it's going to be kind of like the recruiting works where there's dead periods and there's live evaluation periods and all that kind of stuff. And I think coaches, you already hear them complaining about it a little bit or not complaining, but calling for the need for it. And I think eventually somebody's going to have to say, all right, transfers exist, but you can only transfer these months. Like whether it's directly after the regular season ends for two months, during the summer, whatever it is, because there's got to be some kind of schedule to it. Because like when you look, and Dennis mentions this in his piece, like, we don't know how much of it is because of the COVID restrictions just yet. But if you look at the numbers, the number of high school kids getting scholarships and signing with D1 schools decreased last year for like the mm-hmm. first time in a while. Like a lot of recruiting has been done in the transfer portal. And we, like I said, we need a few more years to see if that's just a COVID side effect, if that improves. But it is kind of a situation where you're seeing there's like, Coaching staffs are getting larger, but you only have so many man hours available to evaluate high school players and evaluate players in the portal and try to recruit all of them. So it's I think we're going to see some sort of change in the landscape here soon where there's some kind of schedule for it. I hope so, because I'm. but it, I don't know how much difference it's going to make. I mean, I it's we've already seen a couple I guess you would call them holdouts, like guys that aren't happy where they are. Mm-hmm. Like, for, what if Bryce Young was like looking around? He's seeing a freshman coming into Tennessee making eight million. And he's like, wait a second, like, what are you guys going to do for him? Because if he entered the portal, there'd be ten oh million dollar offers waiting yeah. for him. So, does he have back channels to do that at Alabama so that he stays? Probably, but it's just there's it's just so wild to watch this unfold. Not with Bryce Young, but that is definitely going to happen at some point. Right. It's definitely, there's, and it, you know, there's some speculation that it's happened with a couple players, not as, you know, that aren't quarterbacks, but it's going to. And a player's going to be like, hey, I like it here. I don't want to leave, but this school's offering me X amount of dollars. Can you match? And the school's going to have to make a decision to have to do that or not. Can you imagine the reactions that will come forth if, like, a, a player from a top, like, title contending program defending leaves, that? What if, what if yeah, leaves to go to like a mid tier P5 just because they're like, hey, they gave me the bag, dude. I don't care if we go seven and five. I'm going right. to get 15 million for it. I'm telling you what, but no one would criticize it because, hey, you got to get paid, got to get yours. <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious if that happens. Explore the transfer portal market. Um, speaking of college players who are going to be getting paid good money soon, the NFL draft begins Thursday morning with the or Thursday evening with the first round. Uh, 
We'll take a look at the offensive side later this week. We'll look at the defensive side of the ball. I feel like we are uniquely qualified to discuss this, seeing as how we've actually watched most of these kids play for the last few years instead of just crushing film for the last few months trying to evaluate them. But I want to start with the quarterback class because the quarterback class is always going to be the most important thing in football. And this is a special one in that it's not very good, at least not by my evaluation. I'd like to hear what you think, especially because of the two of us, you are the one who actually played quarterback in college, was drafted and played in the NFL. So of the quarterbacks that are likely to be going early, like, and I don't mean the first round, I just mean the first names that are likely to come off the board, whether it's the first three rounds, you know, the top guys in this class, who do you think is the best suited for the NFL? And also when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks as a former quarterback yourself and trying to judge going from college to the NFL, what are you looking for? What do you think are the most important traits and physical abilities for any QB? Um, I think at this point, like it's really the intangibles to me are so valuable, but they're the hardest thing to judge because mm -hmm. at some point, Everybody can make, you know, the big throws, the throws that you need to, like the 20-yard comeback on the sideline, the post that we saw Quinn Ewers make. Like, and maybe it's not quite, maybe it's five yards shorter. You know, it's not, or maybe some guy can, you know, can't throw it 80, but he can throw it 70. Like, at this point, though, if you're getting in this evaluation process, you can make all the throws. So then it comes down to me, and this is where I always feel like I'd have a better, I'd have a better take if I could sit down and spend an hour with the guys, even a half hour when, and like when I've been to Indianapolis for the combine and you start talking to them, you're like, Oh, I get why this guy is, you know, interviewing well. And the team start to fall in them. Like a guy like Sam Howe, you know, was kind of flying under the radar because the season wasn't very good. And then he goes to Indianapolis and you're like, Oh, you know, starting to come back up there. And I'm not saying he's going to be a first round pick, but it just kind of starts coming back. Um, I think to me, this class is no good. And we've said that on here before. And the, you know, when we had the clip and it said this quarterback class sucks, that was probably harsh, but it's just there's not, there's no guaranteed Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning type player. The depth isn't great. They all have pretty significant blemishes. And there's just, it's not that good of a class. I mean, it's just kind of what it is. And I think also as proof of that, Look at the quarterback movement that's taking place that's unprecedented mm -hmm. at the next level. Like the team's making moves, like the Broncos going to get Russell Wilson, Washington going to get you know Carson Wentz, and now potentially Carolina going to get Baker Mayfield. But if you ask me, of all those quarterbacks, I'd rather have one of those guys who I've at least I've seen at the NFL level do something productive. Maybe they're you know they're up and down and they've had flashes, but at least I've seen them lead teams and win games. So I would, I'd be, I'd be like the NFL teams too. Let me kick the tires on those guys before I take a flyer at this class, which probably is going to have more busts than it is booms in this class. Bud, welcome to the show. We're is. glad to have you. Uh, let me, I'll ask you the same question because you know you you do it from the high school to the college level. You've evaluated plenty of quarterbacks in your time. But like when it comes to the transition from college to NFL, what do you think the most important traits in a quarterback are as far as evaluating their potential to succeed at the next level? I, I think a lot of it is the processing. Um, there, there's some guys on, on Twitter who who do some good stats work, and I don't think you can you can't just box score and stat scout. But I do think it's valuable to look at at their performance on stuff that is uh, you know not play action, 
not not screens, not not just pure RPO. Now you're going to be able to do some of that stuff in the NFL, but I think the guys who really kill it in the NFL are the guys who do have some ability to actually drop back, read it out, get it out on time. You know, or if you don't get it out perfectly on time, you better have like a Justin Herbert type arm mm-hmm. that allows you to be. You know, it's like in baseball, right? Okay, if, if you throw 92, you better have great location. If you throw 101, you can kind of Robbie Ray it and just chuck it down the middle, let the, move, the movement uh, figure out what side of the plate it's going to actually go to. Um, so I, I think that is is pretty valuable. And to Danny's point, we saw this coming. Uh, we had 32 five-stars every year. We, we're, we're locked into that, so you, you're going to get 32 of them. But uh, that whole year, as far as high school recruits, was just not particularly good. And I, I think quarterback was – uh, very emblematic of that. I mean, we were sitting there at Elite 11 and like the Elite 11 finals out, out, out there in Newport Beach. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say it felt like a regional because it was better than a regional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there were some regionals I've been to that were better than that national final in that year. Like the Atlanta regional, you know, with with uh, you know Trevor and obviously, you know, Justin was from Atlanta and stuff. Like guys like that, that year uh, was certainly better than the talent we had on hand for the 2019 Elite 11 finals. Just not every year is created equal. And I feel like this year we, we lack, uh, you know, we lack a little bit of that top end QB talent. Yeah. Like yeah. going to the recruiting ranking aspect of it. Like if you look at the quarterbacks listed on NFL.com on their site for the guys that are in this draft, there's only two guys that were even four stars coming out of high school. Matt Corral and Sam Howell were rated as four-star quarterbacks by the 24-7 composite. There were no five-stars. Everybody else was a three-star or lower. And I think that, like, I do my own ranking system, which comes out on Wednesday, which is kind of like you said, but you can't just evaluate QBs based on box scores and all that stuff. But it is just based on their production, a formula I use looking at how they've performed against, you know, top defenses, in third and long situations and in the red zone, because I feel like those are, while there is no way to directly correlate college performance to how they're going to play in the NFL, I feel like those are three scenarios which kind of give you a better idea of what you're going to be facing in the NFL as far as smaller windows and the kind of defenses you'll be facing. And I've been doing it for since 2012, and the average score of the classes has gone up every single year. Last year, it took a huge spike. This year, it came back down, but it is still higher than what it had been because we've just seen offenses improve. But when I, you know, when I balance it out by doing it as far as the average compared to the class as a whole, this class is terrible. Spoiler alert for my story that comes out on Wednesday. But like every single year, there's at least one guy in the class who finishes in the top 10 of all the quarterbacks I've put through these numbers and figured it out. This year, there's none. None of these kids make the top 10. And in fact, the you know, any guess as to who the number one QB is in this metric that I did? It's production. Yeah. It, Corral? No. Ritter? Oh, okay. No. It was Jack what? Cohn. <laughs> really? Oh my God. Yeah. He actually um, had a he had a huge year. Yeah, Matt Corral is actually well below average when I break it down into those three areas. And the one thing I've noticed from just the data that I do have historically, it's not really great at predicting who's going to be good, but it's been pretty good at predicting who's not going to be good. And like typically of all the players I've done who finish with below average scores for their class, only two have been good in the NFL. One is Josh Allen, which was kind of a lotto ticket 
that I think people just think that now everybody can be Josh Allen and they don't really give Josh Allen enough credit for how he improved and for what Buffalo did to help him improve. And the other is Lamar Jackson, because the one weakness of what I do is it really doesn't account for a quarterback's ability to use his legs nearly as well. And I think that's a huge part of what Lamar is. Like if you were just drafting Lamar Jackson based as a passer, he's probably not in the NFL. So I think that, you know, when I look at this class, like Matt Corral finished well below average, Desmond Ritter, Pickett, all the guys that you think are probably the most likely to be going early, all finished with below average scores. Mm. I think it's interesting. The two quarterbacks you mentioned that that struggled with your metric are the two players that I think Malik Willis is a hybrid of. Mm-hmm. like Because he's, he's kind of similar to Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, but he's not as good top end as either of them in their specialties if that makes sense. Like he's not as physically impressive stature and arm strength wise as Josh Allen. And yet he kind of plays a little bit like him has tried to do too much with less. And really this past year, you know, scrambling around his accuracy comes into play similar to what happened to Josh Allen at Wyoming. And then his running capabilities when he, he ran the ball a lot, lot two years ago, it's kind of like Lamar, except he's not as electric as Lamar Jackson was, but his game, you can see kind of versions of that. And I think he's a better thrower than Lamar, like a more natural, naturally gifted thrower of the football. So that's like, I feel like he's a hybrid of those two. He's my number one uh, in this class. If he gets taken at six at Carolina, I hate it for him. I hate it for the Panthers. I think it's going to be a mistake. And I think it's because the expectations are going to be off the charts and it's going to be, he's going to have to start soon. They're going to put him in there. It's not a great franchise. So he's going to probably struggle and then he'll be written off in two or three years and he's on his next team. And it just, I don't think he's the salvation for that franchise. Um, So like all of these, I think more than most depends on what franchise you end up in. Like what, what's your experience? What you mentioned, Josh Allen, get like having Brian Dayball for that as that play caller and getting Stefan Diggs were massive for him. If he doesn't, if those two things don't happen, he might be toiling and the bills might be in the, you know, what do we do with the the rookie deal and having all those question marks around him, but he did get the help, you know, like, and now he's an MVP candidate and he's playing with all the confidence in the world. But I think this class more than most to me, it'll be situationally like Eve, like, and if it's Kenny Pickett to Carolina, I'd say the same exact thing, like good luck rolling him out there week one versus NFL teams. So I almost feel better about the guys that are drafted late. Like if, if I saw a, a mock where they had the Atlanta Falcons take Sam Howell at like 42 or 51, somewhere in the second round. Like, I kind of like that. Like I, I, like I, I did a, I hate comps cause I knew Hassel was going to do this to me. My comp for Sam Howell was Russell Wilson. And, and uh, Chris Hassel was like, I thought you said this class wasn't any good. He's like, you got a hall of famer. I'm like, no, I'm like, think about where Russell Wilson was coming out of Wisconsin, where he had thrown a lot of footballs. He had a lot of success at NC State as a freshman, played a lot of football games. I think he's like the natural thrower of the football. Um, Sam Howell's clearly not as athletic as and as good as a runner as Russell Wilson, but I also think he's underrated as a runner. He's passed in a lot of high-pressure situations, a lot of comebacks in college, fourth-quarter wins. Like, I think he's a player that has really good natural leadership skills. Like, so there's a lot of similarities. That's why it's a comp. Now, it doesn't project the same. But if he goes into a, a franchise with a pretty good quarterback, mine and Arthur Smith, a Marcus Mariota, who can kind of watch, maybe challenge, he gets put in there in a year with lower expectations. I could see him playing himself into a job, you know? So, like, that's 
It's like, I like that situation. If Desmond Ritter goes in the second round to Pittsburgh, I like that a lot. You know, I've seen that mocked out to some. I don't think the Steelers will take him in the first round. If they do, I still kind of like whoever, whatever quarterback goes to the Steelers. I think the organization is stable. Like they yeah. usually put their their quarterbacks in positions to succeed. So to me, more than any class, it's just for me, it comes down to where are they going to go? Do you, Speaking of comps, um, I actually think there's uh, some Johnny Manziel playing style in Hal. Mm. Like I've all, I've always thought, just watching his high school stuff, there there was a like a, a bit of like calculated YOLO mm-hmm. in there. Um, and Do he does. Think, run- all right, so here's the difference. I don't think Manziel's was calculated at all. Like normally mm, when okay. I watch film, it was a little too playground for me. Like when I yeah. watch film, I can usually see. All right, this is his progression. This is what the quarterback's seeing. Okay, he passed on that one, and then he's going to go to his 2-3. All right, is he reading this side of the field based on coverage? He flips back. With Manziel, I was watching film like, what is he doing? And then it's like, oh, he just made a a circus play and threw it downfield and scored a touchdown. Like, that was some of the harder film that I've had to watch because it just literally looked like he was just freestyling when he was back there, which is why – I was not a big believer in his success at the next level because you talked about processing. That to me is something you have to do at the next level is be able to play within a system, process why and where to go with the football and why you're going to go there. So did you feel like Hal was systemy? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then the system really collapsed around him this year when he when lost everybody. was bad. Um, but I also like, I liked him in two minute situations where all of a sudden it's just drop back and start reading things out. That's where I kind of liked how the most was when it was two minute drill, no huddle, just go. And, you know, and, but he's reading things out and finding weaknesses and make exploiting deep ball, you know, exploiting and moving the ball down the field. That's where I liked him a lot. Yeah. See, the thing that made it hard to evaluate the how film for me was I felt like he was too quick to run. Like a lot of the times if the first read wasn't there, he was taking off. And it's like, I can't tell if that's just because he doesn't process well enough to go to a second read or if he's just so kind of shell-shocked from playing behind that offensive line where he's in a situation like, well, if it's not there, I have to go because I, I won't have any time to get next, get to the next read. Totally. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure it was – I felt like he was getting rushed a lot mm-hmm. and speeding up his progressions because he's like, I'm out of here. It ain't going to be there in the protection. Yeah, I, I I had Sal in my last mock from last week. I had him as the first QB off the board going to New Orleans. But mm-hmm. I, I do like that Russell Wilson comp because we look at Russell Wilson now, like he was a third round pick. Like right. were, there, it's not like he was some no doubt guy. Like he went to Wisconsin because he wanted to play in a more pro style offense because at NC State he was kind of in the situation with Sam Howell. It was like one read, if it's not there, go. And he wanted to show, like, no, I could play in this offense and I could sit there and I can, you know go from my first guy to my second guy to my third guy, and then run if I have to. Because when Russ first got to the NFL, there was a whole lot more scramble to his game than there is now as he's grown into the role and gotten better as an overall quarterback. So that's not a bad comp at all, I don't think. What do you think – what do you guys think of Pickett? Because I think he's a tough one because he has that one-year wonder. And Joe Burrow was a one-year wonder. Like his first year at LSU was pedestrian at best. But the the thing that I have a hard time with is Pickett's – three years like they were all virtually the same 13 touchdowns six interceptions didn't play great it was just very average and then all of a sudden he just pops Mm -hmm. and you're like is that does he get it or does he get 
Jordan Addison, and all of a sudden, like that opens things up. Because his, if you just, he has the best tape, I think, of all of them this season. But for me, it's hard to look at, okay, what part of that is, you know, having a player like Jordan Addison, like, but Josh Allen got Stefan Diggs and his stats in the NFL jumped dramatically and he got a system that he liked. Like, that's to me the kind of the hard thing on Pickett. I think Pickett's the safest one. Like, I think Pickett will play in the NFL. He'll have a career. I should say he'll have a career in the NFL. I don't know if it's as a starter. He might be a career backup, but like, I don't envision him being a Burrow type. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, bud. What do you think? Cause you got to leave soon. Yeah. I, I, well, I kind of think that um, they really opened up the offense in the final year, you know, and part, maybe he just has that kind of like old guy in college football thing going on where everything slowed down for him in that final season. Um, I actually, I don't know if it's live yet. We, we did the pit. Uh, college football summer school thing and, and I, I think Pitt's going back to a more uh, like conservative offense this year which kind of bums me out a, a little bit it sounds like but of course they're you know, they lost a, a likely first rounder and pick it I, I think he's a pretty good player though man but he did have really good receivers as well mm-hmm. and, uh, those guys were no joke and they they stayed healthy on the offensive line man I, I got well okay if you were still back in the Bradford times when a first round pick would bankrupt you if you uh Yes. Or was Bradford the last or the first of the new? La, la, he was last. the last of the yeah. old. He got was like him. guaranteed. Right. So, like, it, when a first-round QB could could crush you cap-wise, I'm not sure how many of these guys actually go first round, you know? But now the, the incentive actually is to take them because it doesn't hurt you that bad if you if you miss on it, as long as you don't miss on, like, three or four in a row. And if you hit on it, you get the extra year of control. So I think it's important to remember, like, how many of these dudes are really first-round – how many of these guys are actually among the the 32 best players in this draft? No, pretty very few. <laughs> yeah, but value wise, the system dictates you should take them. Like I think this, the teams are justified in rolling the dice because if you don't have a quarterback, you ain't winning. So take some chance, even if it's like a 10 percent chance the guy hits, and if you miss, take another one next year. Yeah, I got to bounce for doing Georgia. All right, All right. thank Sorry, you. Guys. No problem. Right. I I agree with you, Danny, as far as Pickett, where I feel like. Of these guys, just based on what he already is, he's at minimum going to be a quality NFL backup. He might mm-hmm. be able to get a career as a starter, not be a top half of the league starter, but somebody maybe you can you know go to war with if you've got a good enough team. Not He's not going to win you games, but my biggest concern about him, honestly, is he holds on to the ball way too long. And mm. if if he does that, like he's able to get away with it in college because he's you know playing college defenses. But once you get to the NFL, he's going to have to speed things up and realize you can't wait as long. And I think that's been a big problem for in Chicago with Justin Fields, where he was so used to playing at Ohio State, where he knew I got a great offensive line and I've got amazing receivers. I can wait for this guy to get open. And he's still kind of doing that in the NFL. It's like, you can't wait. And no. uh, speaking of Ohio State receivers, we're going to go to the break now but after the break we will get into the wide receiver class the offensive line class and if we have time i guess because they don't matter anymore the running backs so coming up after the break robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I think it's fitting that for on the show I'm hosting the commercial <laughs> we run during for those watching live on YouTube is for the offer about the making of The Godfather. I appreciate that, Coca. That's really smart timing. Um, We touched on it before the break. Uh, this is a wide receiver class. I feel like we've been saying a lot in every single draft the last few years like, this is, a, this is a pretty deep wide receiver class. I, I don't think that there is a Jamar Chase type of talent at the top. Like, I don't know if we're going to see any of these guys going in the top five. I don't know if any of them should be in the top five, but I feel like we've got a lot of guys in this class who are going to be solid NFL players. And I don't know, do you have somebody who stands out to you as the clear number one guy, the one you absolutely want to have as a quarterback? Um, I'd say probably... I don't know. I'm sad. just watching Jamison Williams. Like it does suck that he was hurt, yes. right? Because I think if he's not, and he runs down something. If he ran a four-two something, which might have been a possibility, and and I'm not saying he won't get back to that, but if he would have ran that at the combine, I think he would have been the guy. Without him, I'd probably say Garrett Wilson. Yeah, he's my number one. He's got you know he's ran plenty of speed. He's got four-three speed. He can pop the top. He's got really he's really nice route runner. Um. You know, he's got good. I, I just, he's probably to me the guy that'll go first. I also like Drake London, who, you know, got kind of lost in the mix a little bit just because USC wasn't very good. I've always been partial to guys that are just physical specimens, too. You know, as somebody as a quarterback, you see that catch radius, or if there's man coverage and there's just a guy draped all over him, you're like, I'll just throw it in that vicinity and he'll catch it. Because you'll see, like, Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterbacks in the game, they'll do that a lot. They just trust their receivers to body up somebody and just out-physical them. And that's, like, Drake London, to me, has that capability. It's more of a smaller, not quite as physically freakish as DK Metcalf, but somebody that's that kind of physically imposing uh, stature on the outside. You know who he reminds me of? Anquan Bolden. Yeah. Like he's yeah. big, he's strong. He's he's not slow, but he doesn't have like the top end speed that the other guys in this class have. So I don't know. Like he reminds me a little bit of Mike Evans, but I think Mike Evans is faster. But I think Drake London is a guy who can be not the giant deep threat that's going to stretch vertically, but I do feel like he could be a number one receiver in the right kind of offense, like in more of a West Coast kind of like Shanahan type offense. I think he could fill that role and be a very good player. But I'm with you. I think of just the guys, I'm bigger on Garrett Wilson than I am on the rest because I just think that he's more complete. He's got good size, although I do think he gets overwhelmed a little bit. Like if, if you put him in press up against a bigger corner, I think he could get swallowed up a little bit. But He's very good. Like you said, he's a very good route runner. He's very good at adjusting his body in the air to make to catch the ball. He gets up. He's got a good catch point. He's physical enough battling for the ball. And he's, you know, he's pretty quick. Like he can change directions without losing any of his speed. And I think that's a huge in the NFL where everybody you're going up against is fast. Like there's no, there's no duck on most NFL defenses. So your ability to kind of shift directions without slowing down, I think is what separates a lot of guys from other players. And I think Garrett Wilson has that, but uh, 
before we get to the offensive line, here's another question I want to ask you as a former quarterback. Like we talked about the QB class, but there's a lot of teams in this draft who aren't interested in any of these quarterbacks because they already have their guy, whether they drafted him last year with like Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or, you know, a couple of years ago, they've got young quarterbacks on rookie deals. But now you're in a situation where you want to build around your QB. What do you think is more important for a quarterback as far as improving their odds to succeed, getting them a top wide receiver or giving them a top offensive line? Give them a run game. Ooh. You know, which which I would say would go with the offensive line. I think that's probably the safest one. And what's unless you're just unless you're married to the guy and you're like, you know what, he can get beat up. He's not gonna like, and you gotta have incredible confidence though to not get shell shocked. That's what's so impressive about what Joe Burrow did this past season with the Bengals. Like he was, I think his sack rate was up there, like he might have been sacked more than anybody. It was like mm-hmm. worst three in the league. And he's coming off an ACL, which he already gotten beat up his rookie year. And he's like, well, I don't care. I'm just going to go out there and throw 500 yards again. Just get the ball to Jamar Chase. And they kind of went the exact opposite direction because they did go get Jamar Chase. And they were like, we'll wait on the offensive line. And now it looks like they're going to try to shore that up this year. But I would say in general, a run game. So building from the inside out, like getting that physical front, I think to me is the best solution to giving a quarterback, a young quarterback, a chance to succeed, you know? And then once you get, I think because a run game gets you better matchups on the outside, you're not facing as many because they've got to get, start getting involved with safety help coming down in the box. You get better counts, get more man-to-man matchups on the outside. You get better down and distance situationally. It opens up things where you can run the football, even on third and three, you might decide to run. It just, it opens up so much more to have a run game. So I would say the offensive line, but like by extension, a run game, I'd say would be the most important thing. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think I, I, I fear that some teams are going to look at what Joe Burrow and the yeah. Bengals did and be like, oh, well, see, you don't need an offensive line. All you need is a guy who might be a generational QB <laughs> and some of the greatest, like, like I know Jamar Chase gets plenty of like the attention, but like that's a team that had you know Tyler Boyd. It, it's got really good receivers. It has Joe Mixon at running back. It had a very good tight end. It's like most offenses don't have that many weapons playing behind a bad offensive line. And I think that gets overlooked a little too much. I, I agree with you. I think I would rather build in the line because that does lead to a better run game, which takes some of the pressure off of your quarterback and also just you know, an offensive line that can block for a little bit is a good thing for a quarterback because it gives them time to not get killed. So I think that the most of the consensus right now is that the first pick will probably be an edge rusher. I don't know that it should be. I have Kayvon, we'll sneak peek for next episode. I have Kayvon Thibodeau as the number one player in this class, but I think that the Jaguars might be better suited taking an offensive lineman. I think a lot of the teams drafting up top might be taking an offensive lineman. And while... If I was going to say the most, my surefire, no doubt, going to be a very good player at the NFL level among the offensive linemen, I would go with Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum, but centers aren't going to be going early. Not in the draft. sexy. They're not yeah. sexy enough. Yeah, but of of the tackles, of Icky Iquanu, Evan Neal, Charles Cross, anybody that you might like, who is your favorite tackle in this draft? Which one do you want more than anything? I like Iquanu from NC State. I like Icky. I Looking at the body of work, watching him on film, he just mauls dude mm-hmm. in the run game. I think you can work on the pass sets, but also you hear things like wrestled in high school, 
you know, comes from parents that were athletic. Like he's a really good athlete. He's not just a guy that's big that you put on the offensive line because he's big. And that problem, maybe that's why he was put on the offensive line, but he's done other things to kind of prove more athletic than I think people think. Um, Evan Neal is a physical specimen. Don't get me wrong, but I almost felt like with the expectations and with his physical freakishness, he should have been more dominant. Yeah. And like the tape just doesn't match some of that dominance that you hear about. Like, oh, well, look at him. He can do box split jumps and all this stuff. I'm like, and that's like the athleticism that I'm talking about with Aquano, but like it just, like that stuff's cool and all, but you still got to go out there and really maul dudes and be physically impressive in pads and in the game and show up on tape. And I, he's he's gonna go top five, but I, I would take Aquano over him. What what about you? Same. I, I I love like that's the thing when it comes to offensive linemen. When I watch them, it's not just how athletic are you, how good are you, how capable are you. I like the guys with more of a nasty edge, guys who play through the whistle a little bit. And I think Icky has a lot more of that to his game than Evan Neal does. And I like Evan Neal a lot as a prospect too. Like if Evan Neal goes number one overall or he's the first offensive tackle off the board, I'm not going to be sitting like, oh, huge mistake. You're an idiot for doing that. My concerns with Neal are. I don't know where he's at his best. Like we saw him play all over the place for Alabama and he was perfectly solid at all of them. But I don't, because of that, like, is he good at everything, but a master of nothing. And that concerns me. And the other one too, like you kind of touched on, like there were times when you were watching Alabama this year and we talked about it during the season, like where they were getting beat up in the offensive line, like they were getting dominated in the trenches and it was kind of having an impact. And I just feel like at times Evan Neal's demeanor, like, you can bully him. And that concerns me if I'm putting that kind of capital in somebody who I'm looking at as possibly being my, you know, franchise left tackle. Like Iki Aquanu might get beat, but I don't think anybody's going to be intimidating him or just kind of overpowering him. I think you can do that to Neil more easily than you can to Iki, but I think Neil is probably a little more talented. So that's kind of like where you have to find, find the balance. I would lean Aquanu, Neil second. And I really like too. I, I like Charles Cross a lot from Mississippi state and, Obviously, playing in a Mike Leach offense, you don't really get to see him run block a lot. But I don't think it's a situation of he can't run block as much as it's a situation where he just wasn't asked to because everything is so quick and short and like, you know, the air raid kind of short passes. So I think that's a guy that hasn't really gotten much attention because of the Iquanu and the Neil discussion that might be going in the top 10 just like those two and might end up being the best of them all. But as far as under the radar guys that haven't really been talked about a lot, I like Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Like, I think he's a guard at the NFL level. I don't know if he's going to be a first-round pick. Maybe a team will draft him and try him at tackle. I don't think you're going to be thrilled with it. But I just think that he's very athletic. He is powerful. He's strong. And he also gets to the second level really nicely to take out, you know, for the run game, which I think is a huge boost. So I think Kenyon Green is a guy who's probably going to go – later than a couple of these other players might not be the first guard taken. Hell, he might be the third or fourth guard taken, but I think he's got a chance to be the best one of the bunch. Yeah. He's, he's impressive. I, I love what you said about Tyler Lindbaum. Um, what happened to him being like, he's, he probably don't think he was the best offensive lineman just this past year. Is it the center thing? Cause yes, I look at the value that he brings. He's got the nasty streak, but as a center, a lot of times you are the quarterbacks, like best friend mm -hmm. you like and if you get a young quarterback the center's making a lot of the calls that the quarterback can't like he's pointing out the mike linebacker he's calling out the protections he's adjusting protections he's calling out run blocking schemes like he is the communicator up front 
So, like, I think some team is going to – like, Utah, I think oh, yeah. he's going to play in the NFL for a long time, be like a multiple-year Pro Bowler, maybe Hall of Fame-type player. And my favorite nugget on him is when I was playing Kentucky in their bowl game, he got – uh, he got tangled up and had to leave the game, went back in the locker room. Everybody's like, oh, he's done. You know, he's NFL top 10 pick. He came back for the mm-hmm. final series to try to win. Like, that to me is the center I want in my huddle. Like, that's the guy I want. I love that about him. Just that football player mentality. Yeah, and, like, I feel like he gets stereotyped a bit, too, because, A, he's a center, but, B, because he plays for Iowa. And it's just, it's like, all right, well, he's just, like, a little fire hydrant. Like, no, he's like athletically very very talented he's very strong he's got quick feet he moves well he's got very good bend and i think you know you could play him at guard too if maybe you've already got a center but i I think he could play a number of different places on the interior of the line but i think you're right this is a guy who's probably going to go late in the first round and end up on an already good team because they're drafting at the end of the first round that's why they're there and he's just going to make them even better than they already are and everybody and he's not going to get much attention because it is an anonymous position for the most part we don't really talk about great centers and i think he has a chance to be like a perennial pro bowl player i think at the very least he's going to be an above average center in the nfl from day one and he's not going to go until probably like pick 25 or something so yeah it, it is strange how you know draft value affects as far as the talent and your ability to play the position and speaking of positional value compared to your talent and where you go in the draft like this running back class is good There's plenty of good running backs, but you don't see running backs going in the first round anymore because they become more replaceable. And generally, teams view them as spots where it's like, yeah, well, great. We'll get as much value out of you as you can as a rookie. But as soon as you become a free agent, like you're if you draft a running back who's too good, like let's go like to the Ezekiel Elliott routes or those guys who Chris McCaffrey. Yeah. By the time they get to their second contract, now you've got to pay them a ton of money, but nobody wants to pay a ton of money to their running back because it's like you're not as vital to the operation anymore and you're going to wear down so we're probably not going to get the right return on investment but like you look at the last few drafts the best running backs in each class like I I guess you could say Najee Harris in the 2021 class he went 24th to Pittsburgh so he was a first round pick but you go back to 2020 the best running back from that class so far has been Jonathan Taylor who was getting NFL MVP hype he was the 41st pick in the draft like a not early second rounder just a mid-second rounder so of the running backs in this draft, I think there are a lot of good ones, whether it's Kenneth Walker or Brees Hall, but is there anybody here that you see that you think can sneak into the first round as somebody who's not really being discovered or is going to be highly drafted, or is there like kind of a sleeper that you're just kind of wondering, why the hell is nobody talking about this guy? I think Brees Hall has separated himself as the guy, so I think he might go in the first round. I wouldn't want it. I would not. I, I'm kind of the Pete Prisco mindset. Who's mm-hmm. you know, don't you know? He, he gets crushed for it all the time, unless maybe it's a generational type back who can catch out of the backfield. It can do a little bit of everything. Which Brees Hall can. He's a complete back, but he's not. He's not Christian McCaffrey. He's not Saquon Barkley, and you know he's not a Reggie Bush. Like he's just not that great. But I do think he's the best in this class. I like Isaiah Spiller probably the second best. The one thing I didn't like with Kenneth Walker, the third, he's a little limited in what he did. He was more of just a straight line running back. Mm -hmm. Didn't catch a ton of balls out of the backfield. Didn't see him a bunch of, you know, picking up pass protection. Isaiah Spiller did all that, you know, like at at Texas A&M and he played in the sec. Um, And I think playing in Jimbo Fisher's system, we talk about it from a quarterback standpoint so many times, like how hard it is to play in that system. I think from a running back, there's a lot in your shoulders too. 
So I like him, but I think he'll probably be somebody in the second round that's there. Um, I'll give you one that I like a lot. I saw him because I was on CBS Sports Network doing a lot of like late night West Coast games. Tyler Algier yeah. out of BYU is a bowling ball, 5'11, 223. Like he's one of those backs that the the more he carries he gets, the stronger he gets. It's sort of like the heavyweight boxer, like just body blows, body blows, body blows, and all of a sudden. You're just, you look up and he's got 150 yards rushing. He's that type of back that, you know, I don't think he's even a first or second round pick, but a little bit later than that. But I think he's going to be somebody that can tote the rock for some NFL franchise and and take that pounding and keep on going. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Brees Hall. I think he's probably the most likely to be the most all around, most competent running back in this class. I like Kenneth Walker a lot. I think he is very talented. My major concern with him is while he's thick, you know, he's a thick build, but he's still only 5'9". And he's still only 211 pounds because while he's thick, he's not exactly the biggest guy out there. So I worry about his durability and his usage at the next level going up against NFL defenses the entire time. Um, Another name very much under the radar that I think that I've kind of fallen in love with over the last few weeks that I didn't watch play at all because he played on the FCS level. But as I've just kind of dove into prospects trying to figure all this stuff out. Oh, yeah. Pierre Strong Jr., he is 5'11 and 207 pounds, and he can fly. Like, he is just a home run hitter. I think that is not good. He's not going to be a three down back. He's not going to be a bell cow, but he is somebody who, whether you're putting him on like returns and you're using him in special formations, like, I feel like Pierre Strong is the kind of guy he somehow ends up on like the Chiefs or the 49ers or one of those offenses, and he just becomes an absolute like home run hitter huge superstar kind of player i think he's somebody that's probably not going to go to like the third fourth fifth round kind of that area who might end up being the most productive back in this class and i don't think very many people know about him so i want to get out on him now i want to be out ahead of the talk pierre strong jr is going to be a very good nfl player you should hope that your team drafts him i like it uh so yeah i think that's that's a pretty good spot to wrap up the show i honestly i'll be honest with you danny i think the show is better with just you and me we should probably <laughs> just get rid of butter <laughs> chip they take up too much but i like taking time. days off every once in a while so we true need, we need those other guys here too true so, so they could they could serve as our substitutes every once in a while like when you and i need to take a day off we'll call in chip we'll call him bud and say hey can you guys handle this for us we're gonna go you know danny's gonna go golfing i'm gonna go play video games we're just gonna chill um so yeah thank you for uh listening today thank you for joining us live on youtube and again remember if you haven't subscribed to the show on whether itunes spotify anywhere please do so subscribe to us on youtube at youtube.com slash cover three hit the like on this video if you haven't done so already and if you want you could follow us all on twitter you could follow him at danny cannell you could follow me at tom fernelli follow bud at bud elliot three and you could follow chip on twitter if you want although he's never on twitter so there's really not much point to it but chip underscore patterson and uh danny Thank you for showing up and helping me out today. (laughs) You got it. Thanks to Bud for the cameo, too. Yes. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.